Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 24 minutes now before 4 o'clock on this Monday, the 3rd of December. Let me see if I can take you back to the evening of January 16th. 1991. We were all home and former President George Herbert Walker Bush had a, a national address to the nation. John, play that sound by, please. Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. These attacks continue as I speak. Ground forces are not engaged. This conflict started August 2nd when the dictator of Iraq invaded a small and helpless neighbor. Kuwait, a member of the Arab League and a member of the United Nations, was crushed. Its people brutalized. Five months ago, Saddam Hussein started this cruel war against Kuwait. Tonight, the battle has been joined. This military action, taken in accord with United Nations resolutions, and with the consent of the United States Congress, follows months of constant and virtually endless diplomatic, diplomatic activity on the part of the United Nations. The United that, that's States enough, John. Thank you. 25 minutes before four. That was the address of the nation. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, I just read you part of his resume is here. He was an integral part of Newswatch 16's coverage of Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Colonel, how are you? Can you hear me? No. No? Okay. John, we're having problems with the headphones in here for Colonel Albert, if you can help us. But, uh, Joseph, how are you? Fine, Frank. How are you doing? Okay. Tell me, tell me what you remember about the start of Desert Storm and Shield. Well, it was actually uh, fascinating to the extent that when I first got, was recalled to active duty, they were quietly doing it around the country with different people in different categories, et cetera. Then I found out that I was invited to join the Joint Chiefs. And then when I went to Washington and the Pentagon with the Joint Chiefs, found out what my assignment was. And it was a series of meetings and briefings for about three months in putting things together, organizing Central Command, getting them up to strength, quietly assigning units to them and working on putting together the coalition of uh, allied nations. There were 43 of them at the time. And one of the things that uh, was my responsibility uh, was briefing daily once the operation started the ambassadors of all the allied countries telling them how wonderful their troops were when in fact we were doing 98% of <laughs> everything now now colonel uh, hindsight is 2020 but what would have happened if we didn't liberate kuwait if we didn't what did not liberate kuwait if there was no desert shield desert storm well if it would uh, he would have continued to expand and probably have gone into saudi arabia 
probably would have gone into Iran and would be the undisputed king of the Middle East. Wow. With all the oil, Bahrain, Qatar. Uh, we actually knew about what he was planning to do uh, two weeks ahead of time because at a 4th of July reception at the American embassy, he told the American ambassador exactly what his plans were. The problem was she never bothered to report it back to Washington. <laughs> uh, needless to say, she was relieved right after. Well, so, so I guess what I'm trying to do here is as we're watching Air Force One arriving there for the, uh, the beginning of the official ceremony, uh, as, we, as we think about uh, President 41, President George Herbert Walker Bush, his call to start Desert Storm was the right one. I believe it was the right one. Uh, I will say this, in all honesty, there was a lot of lobbying by the Kuwait lobbyists in Washington to liberate the country. Uh, they played a very definite role in our actions. Uh, another country, surprisingly, that uh, kind of got a very interesting heads up on the entire situation was Israel, which... When they learned what we were doing, when we briefed them, they offered us their entire country. Uh, airplanes, hospitals, ports, landing strips, etc. We turned them down. The reason we turned them down is we didn't want to upset the Arab allies in the coalition. And at that time, I think Israel realized that they could not depend on anybody but themselves for the future. You know, I, I'm going to ask you questions here, and, and if they're goofy questions, just tell me. But do you remember um, what what units from our area were involved in Oh, the, specifically. Yeah. There were three units specifically from our area that were recalled. And before I tell you which ones, well, I'll tell you which ones they were. There was a medical unit that was headquartered up in Scranton, comprised of doctors and nurses, most of whom were from CMC and uh, Moses Taylor Mercy at the time. There was a military police unit from down in, uh, I believe, Wilkes-Barre somewhere in Luzerne County. And I believe there was also a engineering unit that was activated uh, from perhaps the Lehigh Valley. I'm not sure where. And, and there was a civil affairs unit out of Philadelphia that was activated. And the reason these units were activated, and when you're talking about Bush 41 legacy, one of the prime things the man did was to make the military service uh, not only achievable, but respectable again. Because don't forget, we were still coming off of Vietnam, and the military was held in deep distrust. They weren't recognized. They weren't uh, respected. They were at best tolerated. And after uh, Desert Storm... It was a whole different picture. Now, John, we have that second soundbite where, where uh, President Herbert, George Herbert Walker Bush is speaking to troops. Can you play that? Because it's exactly what the colonel is talking about. only help liberate Kuwait, you help this country liberate itself from old ghosts and doubts. And when you left, it was still fashionable to question 
America's decency, America's courage, America's resolve. And no one, no one in the whole world doubts us anymore. Wow. Now, he was he was speaking to, to troops. But that's exactly what you said. But I didn't remember that, that, uh, that he kind of restored that kind of dignity to the military. Ab- absolutely. And the reason that that occurred was after Vietnam, the allied uh, American commander of American forces <clears throat> was General Creighton Abrams, the man the tanks named after. And he decided when he became chief of staff of the army that the military would never undergo what happened during Vietnam. And that is that if you wanted to get out of Vietnam yet serve your country, you join the Guard or Reserve because nobody was ever activated for Vietnam. And he said that would never happen again because we cannot fight a war without the country being involved totally. And that means people from the home front being activated. So what he did was take all the support activities at the army bases all over the world, especially stateside, and turned them into civilian enterprises and put the support units into the reserve and sometimes the guard, and they were attached to the active duty units that were assigned to that base. So, for example, if you were in a military supply unit or a laundry or post office, it was a civilian-run operation at Fort Benning, for example, but your unit was assigned, was attached to the 82nd Airborne. So if the 82nd was mobilized, so was your unit to offer the support. And that, in turn, would bring in American support across the board for the military. And that's what happened during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And the key thing that I find interesting, from my perspective, was that after... Desert Shield, we finished. When I was getting ready to leave and return back, uh, the general that I was working for said, don't forget you're coming back here in 30 days. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew the war was on. I guess so. All right, now we're going to take a break. Uh, We're going to take a break, but let's see, a couple of things that people... Uh, 300 Field Hospital, that's your guest. Uh, we want to remind your guests of the 92nd Aerial Port Squadron from Wyoming, 300 Field Hospital from Ashley, 427 members, uh, U.S. Army Reserve. All right, quarter to four, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. We're talking about the legacy of 41, President George Herbert Walker Bush, and we're talking about one of the biggest things that he's remembered for, and that is Desert Storm and Desert Shield. We'll be right back on WILK. 13 minutes now before 4 o'clock. Bush 41, awaiting the start of the arrival ceremony. Uh, he's going to lie in state in Washington. And, of course, uh, you know, that's going to be something that ABC and WILK will be giving you lots of information on. But right now, we're talking about his legacy, and we're talking about Operation Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. Uh, he... he I'm telling you, he was on Channel 16 probably once a week during that, giving us all kinds of information. Colonel, here's here's one of the things I remember. The hero of the time was General Schwarzkopf, but he kind of got forgotten between then and now. Well, he's passed away, for yeah. starters. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Storm and Norman had quite a <laughs> reputation at the at the Pentagon. 
and we were not his biggest fans. <laughs> Why? Uh, he was not the easiest person in the world to get along with, especially having worked with Colin Powell. Uh, General Powell was, was an entirely different sort of individual than General Schwarzkopf was. Powell was very unassuming. Uh, he was stern but fair. Uh, Schwarzkopf was a, really an arrogant SOB. Really? But, I mean, he was probably a good com field he, commander, he, right? Well, he was the key commander at the time because of CENTCOM. What you, what you have to understand is how the U.S. military has reoriented themselves uh, as part of the national defense policy and strategy outlook into unified commands, which were prior to uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, were not really common, but were uh, abnormalities as opposed to uh, commands that we thought about from previous wars. For example, CENTCOM in and of itself only consists of about two, 300 people. When they have a mission and they need something, what happens is the commanding general of CENTCOM goes out to the service chiefs and says, I need three infantry divisions. I need a uh, air wing. I need a naval battle fleet group. And the secretaries of the various services, along with the chiefs of staff of the services, decide which ones will be temporarily assigned to that command. And that's what happened with CENTCOM. It was a uh, command comprised of various uh, units from different services, all under one umbrella at the time. I remember an infamous Lieutenant Colonel Joe Alberts soundbite from Channel 16. Saddam Hussein kept talking about his elite guard. I forget what they were called. The Republican Guard? The Republican yeah, Guard. Yeah, the elite Republican Guard. Oh, the re elite Republican Guard. Elite Republican. And they're, they're, he was just going on about how they were going to wipe us out. And I remember we were talking about that and showing the soundbite. And I remember it on Channel 16, you looked at me and you said, um, I wouldn't worry about it. Ask me in a week. <laughs> And after a week, remember the infamous pictures? They all surrender. They surrender. They <laughs> surrender. But what, what's even better, and, and this is something about Bush that, that people are not aware of. We had people in Baghdad. We, we had people there. And after the fighting stopped, it was a matter, do we push forward or do we stay where we were and just leave the place as it was? Well, the Bush one... Uh, was smart enough to push this through the United Nations. And it was the United Nations uh, mandate that we liberate Kuwait and we leave Iraq the way it was. So we didn't go forward. Yeah, a lot and of people thought we should have just, you know, marched into Baghdad. We could have. We could have. Well, easily, right? But here's what the problem. It, it would not have been a problem, but there were two, two factors, and here's the first one. Saddam Hussein had a dozen different palaces. We never knew which one he was going to be at. He had a half a dozen doubles. We never knew if we, in fact picked them off if we got the right one. And more importantly, and this is what happened with uh, Bush too, was when we did replace him, who would we replace him with, number one, and two, he would be considered an American puppet. And that's exactly what happened in Operation Iraqi Freedom. 
Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So we did not take out Saddam, even though we could have. And we didn't do it for a reason. And perhaps more importantly, we let the Iraqi generals uh, who were left know that should they decide they wanted to remove their leader, A, we wouldn't step in their way, and B, would we, we would quietly assist them. He found out about it. He called 13 generals to Baghdad. They thought they were getting decorated. He took them out in the backyard and shot them. Oh, man. And that was it. That, that was the end of the Iraqi coup. I guess so. Now, you were you were part of, you know, planning the strategy and all that. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm remembering accurately, but one of the reasons that the Republican Guard, you know, surrendered with their hands up and coming out like a parade, didn't we carpet bomb that area? Well, we... we strategically took out what we had to. We stopped him cold. More importantly, he took his entire Air Force and sent it to Iran because he knew we would destroy it. After the war, the Iranians refused to give it back. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Uh, He was also, we were concerned about chemical warfare at the time. I remember that. A lot of people had those suits, yeah. And uh, it did not come to pass, fortunately, for both sides. But that was one of the biggest concerns we had was, would he move, take that extra step? And he didn't do it to his credit. because he did it to his own people, and that was part of his reputation. Exactly. But is that why we sent the B-52s over to just... Well, that was one reason. Don't forget, this was also the the first time the B-1 stealth bomber was put into operation. That totally caught them off guard because they had no way of knowing it was coming. Hmm. Where was Russia in this? Sitting watching very carefully. <laughs> they were they were told to mind their own business and, and not did. to and not to come in. And don't forget they were having internal problems themselves at the time. So the Russians as well as the Chinese were just waiting to see what would happen, what we would do. And uh, for our benefit, they didn't do anything. And it worked out well for us. Well, this 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 war lasted like what three weeks? About that. About that. About that. About that. Now we didn't. We still have troops in Kuwait, by yeah. the way, and and we had to train the Saudi Air Force. We had a we had to create a Saudi Air Force. We trained them, and after the war, the first thing the the uh, uh, king of uh, Saudi Arabia did was disband the air force. Because he was afraid of a coup, they were the most educated people in this country. Hmm. All right, we've got to take a break for news. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. I'm going to keep him with us for a while because I have a couple more questions about this. And then i got to ask him about uh, Ukraine. i got to ask him about Russia. i got to ask him about a bunch of stuff. And so whether he has a schedule or not, we always impose upon him. Four and a half minutes before four, we'll be right back on WYLK. All right, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert is here. We're talking about the legacy of Bush 41, President George Herbert Walker Bush, who will be very shortly lying in state in the Capitol. And we're talking about Desert Storm, Desert Shield. And Colonel, uh, someone, someone texted and asked this question. You were talking about why we didn't go into Baghdad with General Schwarzkopf. If we did, wouldn't that have prevented Bush Jr. from having to do shock and awe? Well, it's like I said, we would have had uh, the three problems that I mentioned. One, the fact that uh, Saddam had 
Uh, twelve castles, yeah. Twelve castles and a half a dozen lookalikes, and we weren't we couldn't be sure if we got the right one. That was number one, and number two, if we did and we overthrew them, whoever we put there would be considered just what happened with Michael Moore, uh, an American puppet. Yeah, and and that's and plus the fact that the United Nations mission was simply to liberate Kuwait. Now, here, here's one of the things that I remember. And I don't know if this was something that you were involved in or you had, you know, had to give the final okay. But we're, we're in uh, Channel 16, and we get an offer, and I, all the stations did. For the first time, we could pay $20,000, and we could have a live camera showing us the battle 24-7. I'm thinking, really? And so we, we paid $20,000, and we got this camera. We're watching everything. And then we had the infamous briefings of the smart bombs. First time we saw the smart bombs. And remember the black and white video, and we see a bridge blow up? I was just watching one. General Schwarzkopf said, here's the luckiest man in Iraq. And the guy goes through the crosshairs and over the bridge, and then the bridge is gone. Smart bombs. Well, we had uh, that. That was a, a public affairs yeah. from DOD. We had nothing to do with that, but we would not have approved it. And and that was what we the first time we really embedded troops and cameras with ground units, et cetera. And that was part of the attempt to bring it close to home, make you involved, and, and keep your eyes on it. Don't forget. Cable, the only cable news channel at the time was CNN, right? Was CNN, yeah. and it was quasi-legitimate at that point in time. Uh, the only other one was was the uh, Capitol Hill News Network, which just covered the Capitol. The others were ABC, NBC, and, and CBS. Right, Peter Jennings at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this was an attempt by the public affairs people at DOD to bring the war closer to home, get the public involved, because don't forget, when we were activating these reserve and guard units for the first time and putting them with active duty troops, uh, when, when you had a, a, a unit from the 82nd at Fort Benning, for example, or the 101st from uh, Fort Campbell, the people in Scranton really didn't care about that. I mean, it was it was distant. It was, okay, so what? They're professional soldiers. But when you have a local unit mobilized yeah. and shipped over there, now you're interested. You want to know exactly what's going on, where it's happening, how it's happening, why it's happening, and is my son or daughter coming back? Yeah, that that's where you you and I were there. We would have women who, uh, mothers who would be watching Peter Jennings, ABC News. They would see a flash of some unit, and they'd come screaming at me, let me see that again, that's my son. They wanted, you know. Pick, pick somebody out who was in camo, one of a thousand people. But exactly. they were right. <laughs> exactly. And, and the you know, that's the good side. The bad side interfered with commander's operations many times. And, and unfortunately, journalists get in the way. <laughs> okay, we'll 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 we'll, we'll, we'll just cool leave it that. at that. <laughs> now, I I have another question, and and that is, Saddam Hussein was a nasty guy, and, and I, I remember the the oil fires. Right. He set everything on fire, right? Exactly. Okay. The reason I'm asking you that is because I have a bunch of people who, who have served that are thanking you for being here. But I just wonder, what were the health effects on our military? Tragic, actually. In fact, they're still suffering from uh, a lot of problems that occurred because of the oil fires. Uh, it's like secondary smoke from cigarettes today. Uh, we're not sure of how bad it 
it really is because it's every day something new is being discovered. But those that were assigned specifically to front areas and in support and where the uh, oil fields were on fire, they're still suffering today. And the VA's got their hands full. Now, I'm on, I'm on a VA website here, and it's talking about Gulf War veterans. <laughs> and it says, you might have health problems caused by sand, dust, particulates, depleted uranium, oil well fires, chemical and biological weapons, chemical agent resistant coating, pesticides, extreme heat, toxic embedded fragments, noise, infectious diseases, occupational hazards, vaccinations, or something else. I can't even read it. Man, man, this is a mess. Well... <laughs> I, I don't think it's quite as bad as, as what you're reading, but there were uh, people exposed to things that we weren't really ready for. Uh, we weren't aware that were going to happen. We didn't expect them to set the oil wells on fire, quite frankly. Right. And it was quite a job to put them out. We had to hire outside contractors to do it. The military couldn't do it. So we had to bring in outsiders to do it. And those Texas oil fighters... Uh, that fight the oil well fires, they're an unbelievable class of people. They just, you cannot believe them. What is, what is the status of the VA taking care of our veterans um, from your point of view? I think it's 100% better than when I first started going to it. Uh, the VA is doing an outstanding job in opening doors that were formally closed. They realized that the veterans community is an integral part of the entire operation, and they're opening their eyes, and the fact of the turnover with regard to uh, Afghanistan and Iraq today, with the constant uh, turnovers that we're having, the constant deployments, redeployments, et cetera, from Guard, Reserve, as well as active duty people that are being uh, deployed, the VA is is getting their act together. Now, uh, that's the good side. They're opening the right doors. They're taking care of women veterans for the first time uh, in, in years. They're opening doors for them. On the downside, they want to get rid of two of the most productive and competent departments that they have, audiology and uh, hearing aids. Uh, optometry and audiology are probably the best you'll find in the country, in the VA. The VA wants to get rid of them. They want to outsource them totally because they feel they're spending too much on them. But that's what the uh, the veterans are, are need them for, uh, eyeglasses and hearing aids. Yeah, and as as the veterans, especially the World War II guys, get older, exactly, Vietnam veterans get older. You know, hearing aids, <laughs> like you said, and, and hearing aids are expensive. Ask ask someone on the civilian side who who has a has bought them. You're talking a thousand dollars plus per hearing aid. That that's expensive. Okay, we're going to take a break for uh, for traffic. When we come back, I, I want you to take your blood pressure medicine because, uh, Colonel, I'm going to ask you. Uh, what's the status of the military preparedness? What what was our status? What is happening now? And you can give us that answer. But right now, it's 18 minutes after 4, and we'll be right back on WILK.
We're continuing our conversation for the next few minutes with Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert. Uh, tough question here. Two two tough questions that are being texted in. Do you think there were or are weapons of mass destruction that are buried in the sand, or what was the situation? Well, <clears throat> I will tell you this. People do not realize how big a country Iraq really is. That's number one. Number two, after the Gulf War, we had U.N. inspection teams that were supposed to go in and check for weapons of mass destruction because two things. When you're talking about weapons of mass destruction, there's two types. One is chemical. The other is nuclear. We know we had chemical, and we know he was working on nuclear. The problem came when he threw out the U.N. inspection teams because he claimed there were too many U.S. spies. And quite frankly, there were. We, we comprised the majority <laughs> of the teams. So were there weapons of mass destruction? Yes. Did we find them all? No. Are they out there somewhere? My personal opinion? Yes. I believe so. Okay. Now, next one. Status of the military today, because you've been here before. And we've talked about how it was depleted, you know, the, the, the problems we have. What, what's, what's the status right now? Well, let me, let me explain it to you this way. What there is is what's called the NDS, National Defense Strategy. The National Defense Strategy of the United States uh, following World War II was a was to be able to conduct and win, if necessary, a two-front war. We can't do it today. We've changed our national defense strategy to hopefully only one war at a time, period. Number two, which is more significant for the audience and for the American people today, which is very disturbing to anyone who has served their country or who loves their country, we would, might not win a war with the Chinese or Russians today. Our defense is not in good shape. It's being rebuilt. But the previous president, and I don't want to offend any members of the audience, but I'm just speaking strictly, statistically, realistically, depleted the military so badly that we've had to change our national defense strategy. That's scary. It's very scary. And let me tell you, our adversaries know it. They know it. The Chinese, the Chinese are not playing games when they're building these artificial islands. They're expanding themselves. And they're playing uh, chicken with our warships. The, yeah. Russians, the Russians are not playing games looking at the Ukraine. They want it back. The question is, what are we going to do? Yeah, and well, how are we going to do it? Can we do it? That's a very good question. That's a very good question, and that's worth a show in and of itself. What, what, what needs to happen to get our military back to where it should be? The American people have to get behind it. The Congress has to get their act together. It's going to be, I, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Socialist, Capitalist, whatever you want. You cannot run a divided country. We have a divided Congress. When you have a Democratic, uh, the current Democratic leadership in the Congress, and I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, doesn't matter, but when the current Democratic leadership comes out and says, 
we are not going to support, regardless of what the president proposes, and he hasn't proposed anything, but just because they want to object, what does that tell you about how the country operates? Yeah, just to say no before you know what you're saying. Exactly. No yeah. Exactly. And the, uh, the Democratic leadership has already said, uh, through the illustrious uh, Congressman Courtright, who said, we're not going to support the new NAFTA agreement just because the president is proposing it. Now, what does that say? They don't even know what's in it. Yeah. And and I'm sorry, whether you're Republican or Democrat, that's not the way to do it. And the military, which is the showpiece for the country, uh, part of it is you didn't challenge the United States unless you were willing to undergo the circumstances and what happens. Uh, it, it's not happening anymore. We're, we're being laughed at. Now, based on what you just said, we got a whole bunch of texts asking about Russia. Um, you know, he's he's talking about new weapons, and I mean, is, is he a major threat or is he a just blowhard? No, I, I, my personal opinion, Putin is a major threat, and I don't think Trump is is disallowing it, uh, disavowing it, or ignoring it. The the question is, what do you do privately and what do you do publicly? Are sometimes very different. And I think what we're trying to do privately, Secretary of Defense Mattis is quietly working behind the scenes, quietly trying to encourage our allies to do what they have to do. And the, the president sometimes speaks perhaps when he shouldn't speak, but he says what, what's frustrating him, what you and I would say in our living rooms when we're talking to our spouses. Yeah. Last question. NATO. <laughs> is NATO real? Does it exist? Is it a help? What's going on? Well, NATO NATO is real. It's not going away, fortunately for everybody, including the Russians. But the problem is the member countries of NATO are going to have to step up to the plate and start uh, paying what they have to pay and doing what they have to do. Uh, we make mistakes in NATO, and mistakes are made as a result and because of but it serves as a deterrent. It's kept us out of a hot war for 50 years. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, you're the best. Thanks for being here. Frank, it's always a pleasure to come. Okay, you were a sad day when you gave me your cell phone <laughs> number. <laughs> well, thank you very much. 4.30, we'll be right back on WILK. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 